Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns Walker. Today, we welcome you back to the Butterfly Forecast. Smooshy. Hi, Smooshy. I'm so happy to be with you again. Me for you. (laughs) How are you feeling? I feel like every day we could do a podcast about how you're feeling and your monumental changes. It's not. (laughs) It feels so weird to be so aware of your body all the time. Hmm. It's like I feel like I've done everything that I can or I've been in process of trying to do everything that I can do, like cut out all the things that I love to eat, but that aren't good for me so that I don't have inflammation so that I don't feel my body so much. So I don't have so much of an awareness of it so that I could just kind of be my vehicle. You know, I've been really trying to get to that point. And then when you get pregnant, you just have such a strong awareness of your body all the time. You can't get out of not that I want to get out of my body, but do you know what I mean? Like, uh, Well, I do. I actually yeah. know that feeling. Before you're pregnant, you only think about your body in terms of what it's capable of doing according to what life gives you and your goals. Yes. Or for like, I, I need to be available for this work I need to mm-hmm. do today. And now it's like 24-7, my body is a machine that's making a baby. It's a baby-making machine. (laughs) Every detail, every morsel you put in your mouth, every lack of sleep directly affects them. And so now you have to be ultra aware of your body because the effect is on somebody entirely different than yourself. It's so weird. Yeah, it's really weird. And How are you coping with being different every day? Because you spend your whole life uh, becoming something and and learning so that you could be this entity that you become. And then all of a sudden, you have to toss it out the window and completely focus on someone you haven't met yet. Yeah. (laughs) And be concerned about them and put yourself aside completely. So it's kind of paradoxical that you are tuning into yourself, but not for yourself. Right. You know, that kind of ties into this thing I I want to talk to you about. It very much relates in a bigger way to your condition. So much of what I hear about these days in the world at large through news or people who come to me in my work or my family, my friends, there's just big, big changes, big challenges, and all from chaos and a lot of untethered uh, behavior, like lots of disconnection. Do you feel or notice that or is that just me? Um, Well, people don't come to me and say (laughs) they do. Wait, tell me more. Tell me more. Because I feel like that's always been the case with you. I mean, that is true, but I don't think that I ever had people come to me that matched the news on CNN or whatever, you know? So like the people that I work with from other countries that I'm reading about in the news are going through personal struggles, illness, uh, symptoms, anxieties, all because of what I'm reading about. It's They're living it firsthand. Right. You're saying that we're experiencing, like it, it's trickling down way more to the population versus like the news being this sens- sensationalized thing. <laughs> well, the news is sensationalized because... We don't really, I don't feel that our news, I can't speak for other countries, but I think in this country, very few people that I know who are uh, learned respect the news as the news. Right. It's selective news. It's highly biased news. Um, When we want to be fully informed I feel like we're partially informed about what is sensationalizing and 
you know, selling. And so that's a very big thing. You know, when I'm listening to people's symptoms, physical, mental, emotional, psycho-spiritual, what gets reflected to me is this one sentiment, which is that people feel tremendous anxiety about their lives and the future because they are experiencing radical disconnections in their lives, disconnection from familiarity, from trustworthy resources, from trustworthy authorities. All of that, all of that has been removed and replaced by individualism, uh-huh. radical individualism, uh, sort of spouting philosophy that rationalizes more chaos or whatever they are doing, which made me start reflecting on this. This is what brought up this conversation. And what I was reflecting on, I often reflect on uh, spiritual concepts that are in every spiritual walk, all the major spiritual walks. When I find a thread, that golden thread I can find in every religion, I start to look at its applications now because otherwise, why would have been repeated for thousands of years if we weren't going to bump into it now? And so the, the concept I've been contemplating also is movement and stillness. Mm. And personally, I think of them as twins that are the opposite ends of an infinity symbol. They're connected together, but they hold space by being like polar opposite worlds. And right now, we think movement is the same thing as taking a radical stance, whatever it is, without seeing the outcome for the collective, you know? Like I was sharing with you recently several situations even in like a micro level in families where one individual suddenly decided for their own philosophy that they would take a stance against their family without the desire for repair, without the desire for healing, without the desire of reconnection. The desire is to stand on some ground, whether it's, you know, based on true events or just their own feelings. The point is they've taken such a radical position as to alienate and dismember the family. And so there's no reflection about what that leads to for all those individuals, their lives, how they carry them out, their relationships, any children they may have in the future, the financial status, all these things get impacted. If that's true on a micro level, it's also true on a macro level. And so waging wars, et cetera, that we're seeing today literally fractioning a plot of land for the sake of an ideology is just all it's doing is consuming our most valuable resources just like a black hole Mm. so that's why i start to think about movement and stillness so if we have radical movement without stillness being the source of the movement i wonder if we see that connection i don't no, it's so you're getting so <laughs> Sorry. deep on me. I love it. No, I really want to understand it, the movement and stillness part, because I feel like that's what's tripping me up. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I also know ever since the pandemic, so many people have gained so much clarity, and maybe that's because of stillness, maybe because movement was slowed down to the point of stillness. And then as a result, they cut people off because they're like, wait a second. They could see more clearly, you know, their priorities shifted. Everybody was kind of thrown into survival mode. So it was sort of like prioritizing your needs and what's important to you and blah, blah, blah. And in a lot of ways, I've, I've felt that that's been super healthy and it's made a lot of people feel more free. Mm. So is that kind of connected to what you're saying? But you're speaking about it when, you know, these sort of 
separations happen because of radical individualism. And then it's negative because those people that, you know, like individuate themselves in these ways are doing it in an unhealthy way where they're not even seeking resolution or is that right? Did I just, or no? I mean, yeah, absolutely. And of course, this is only one tiny fraction of what the implication could mean. Movement and stillness is so much deeper than I could ever reflect on. It's just that I started thinking about it because I wondered if so much fractioning movement, disunifying movement is really because the the other holder of that space, the source of direction is missing. So I agree with you. I love how one of the most beautiful outcomes of the pandemic has been and still is an immersion in a mindfulness. Yeah. You know, so whether it's like newly practiced breath work or gentle yoga or qigong or tai chi, meditating. Some people who are really disconnected from their faith for a long time have shared with me they've gotten back into the practice of prayer, but this time not from dogma, this time from their connection to the divine. Those things we don't hear about. Yeah. And they're spreading like beautiful ripples through you know, the the human waters. I just think that there isn't enough respect and awareness of why we have to hold both movement and stillness and how they're connected. They're not separate things. Because once you like have fulfilled whatever your movement is that you feel you're here to do, you're going to need to go back into stillness to replenish yourself to get reacquainted with what's just you and not out there. Whatever, however important you are in the world or however little you see yourself as important in the world, you are significant. Yeah. But that significance doesn't come from movement. It comes from stillness. Right. So do you think that a lot of people are just in staying in movement? I do. From movement to movement to movement, getting further and further disconnected from themselves. And that's because, and really what started is, there's so much going on in the world. And there are a lot of wonderful ways to be a part of like communities today. You know, whatever your focus is, it just seems one of the most beautiful things in today's society, especially in the U.S., but I see how it is uh, globally in, in many pockets, and that is movements like social movements uh-huh. that have happened to address needs that were not addressed previously. Right. And that's powerful. That's incredible. Like-minded movements. Um, But with so much coming apart at the same time, it's exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting just tracking everything. It's exhausting hearing about one more person going through two or three monumental traumas. Right. Does that not touch your life as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's kind of the news. (laughs) Definitely. Well, how do we remain in constant flow of the relationship between movement and stillness. And when I was looking a little deeper into the spiritual implications of it, it was in the stillness there's supposed to grow connection, not just to yourself, but to the infinite universe, the universal pulse that, you know, what keeps us vital and connected together. So the outcome of movement can't be what pulls us apart. It has to be what gels us together because that's what the universal pulse is. Yeah. The connection between all living things. That made me think about how it's also kind of been projected onto us and we've bought into it that 
we have this social responsibility to stay in movement versus like it's not acceptable to go into stillness because then that means that you don't care or you're not as invested in whatever it is that's going on at the time. And that could be true if maybe we had like one thing that happened every so often. Like I remember when the abortion ban happened just a couple months ago in the U.S. and I was traveling in Europe and I had just found out that I was pregnant and it really threw me into a place, like an unhealthy place. And I couldn't, like I had to remain in my stillness. But it was incredible how many like group chats and conversations I was a part of where, you know, friends of mine were sending me articles and like telling me what to do and telling me how I should, we should all be acting against this thing or whatever it was. And I even remember reflecting it back to some of my friends, like, gosh, this is really heavy for me right now. And they had no clue that I was pregnant or what I was going through. But I remember reflecting back to them, like, this is really heavy for me. I don't know if I can deal with this in this way right now. And these were some of my close friends and it was like not acceptable. Like, no, you have to read this article. You have to understand what's going on. You have to participate in this way. And that kind of alerted me to the fact that like, wow, people have really strong beliefs about what it means to be actively responsible or socially conscious. Yes. I think it's because the focus isn't on the outcome. The outcome has to be with the awareness that we are very diverse in our thinking and we need to call upon creativity to create new ways of dealing with problems, new ways. Yeah. Um, and so because we're not doing that, from stillness, there's an urgency, a push, a judgment. And I feel like what it feeds is this, you know, in our culture, I feel there's this work to burn out and then distract to disconnect culture. Yeah. We work, work, work at something and then we burn out because those very people, if they work on the front lines of even just that one law, will burn out because the system is broken. Right. There aren't people that are there to work together. Right. If there really was, like, let's get to the bottom of this and let's pull our resources and let's look at the ramifications and what expert opinions can we draw upon in order to create new awareness about this? It's just a push. So it's push and then disconnect from anyone who disagrees with you. Yeah. That is the culture I'm talking about. Which creates more individualism individualism and not enough community. Really, it's kind of like the antithesis of community. Mm -hmm. And the more burned out we are as an individual without a connection to a commitment to working together, that doesn't mean every single person together. It means with all the people you could work with. Right. If you cut people off, you're going to find yourself without limbs. Right. And it's not an easy life. No. So that's what we're actually, in my humble observation, we're fabricating this as normal. What you just described, what happened to you, that's normal. That's what I hear about all day, whether it's from politicians or people who are just like for free community service, building a community garden. And something starts and one individual makes a arbitrary stance on something that they are not really clear about and they make it about everybody else. And now there's no more community garden. Just because one individual spoke on behalf of an ideology, rather than put the focus on the community. Right. Because if I'm right or I'm wrong, I can always bow out if everybody's doing great without me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But I also think the other piece of this is um, I wonder about that harder, faster, better to produce something at the outcome, 
that may have been like something that sprouted from the industrial age in this culture. Mm. But now with this radical individualism and people all becoming their own philosophers or quoting someone who wrote a book and then that's their new ideology without the thought of using that as a gift or a tool but still remaining connected. Right. Like, why not give that tool to everyone instead of stand on your own? I think that creates more of this kind of movement that is without a purpose. Mm. So that's what creates chaos, you know, movement without purpose and without the whole as something that could be the byproduct. Even if what you're building is something just for you, but you're aware that you are part of the whole, that still benefits the whole. God, you know, I, I've really been thinking about purpose so much lately. It's popped up. How so? Well, it's just so important to know what your purpose is in any type of movement. Because if you're making any kind of movement or wanting something or desiring something without being really honest with yourself about your purpose in that, it can create drama. It can create so many results. And then, I don't know, I just feel like there are people who whose purpose is drama. They create movement for drama. They feed off of it. And I wonder if they knew what that purpose was or like, what do they think their purpose is um, when that's always the outcome? If that's always the outcome, does that make you reflect on what your purpose is more or not? Mm. But they're not going to stillness. Maybe that's the thing. That's big. Stillness is so big, especially in like grind culture. There's no room for stillness because it's like you don't have time for stillness, but it's everything. It's really everything. But it's so true, like even with me, I've slowed down a lot. And is this where it's tied in? You thought it was tied in? <laughs> yes. I've slowed down a lot and I've had to be more still, but I feel so guilty. <laughs> yes. And here you are growing a human body inside your body just out of love for free. You're just doing it. Yeah. And yet it's going to take... All the energy you have, um, I told you when I worked with this beautiful mentor, she was like a 23rd century doctor many years ago. Uh, she asked me, how long on average do you think it takes to restore what you gave when you gave birth to just one of your children? <laughs> I said, in, in my observation with my body, it took several years and she smiled from ear to ear. She goes, no, Julie, it takes seven years at the least Ugh. to restore blood, bone, everything you gave, your nutrients. Those were the storehouses you gave to create one human life. And she's like, it's not just because it's natural doesn't mean you didn't sacrifice and give everything. And that's why a lot... Uh, afterwards, there's this guilt, like, why am I so tired? Why don't I feel like I'm, quote unquote, back to normal? Well, because you're not back to normal, but you're going to get there. But you're going to have to now operate from a different place. Like, I expended a tremendous amount of energy for a really good purpose. That doesn't mean you don't take your time to find out what restores that body, that person, psycho-emotionally, spiritually, not just physically, so that you can give all that you're going to have to give from that moment on anyway, which is uh, caregiving and paying attention and helping develop. It's just never-ending. It's sort of like a forced stillness for women, for the feminine. I just wanted to share when I went to... I think it was North Dakota. I went to um, Standing Rock and we I did my first sweat with the Native Americans with the Lakota tribe there. And I did the sweat with all men. I was the only woman, woman there. And they were describing to me 
the sweat lodge, like it was this tent, they said how important it was in their culture that men did the sweat. And I was like, why? And they're like, well, women, the feminine, and they have such high regard for women in that culture. They said that women are blessed with periods. So every month they have their cycle and they have the gift of stillness. They get to just go inside, clean, cleanse themselves and renew. And he was like, men don't have that. So we have to create that for ourselves. And the sweat lodge was their version of that. And I loved it so much. And so every month, at least they would all go in there. The men would go in there together and do a sweat together and purge and clean and try to achieve the same station as the feminine. And I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. I wish everybody in this culture would do that. Yeah. And like, especially with my girlfriends who grew up in that culture, they had what they called moon time. Yeah. So when they had their cycle, um, they were excused from the community duties and went off alone. Anybody else who cycled around the same time did the same. And they rested and they were quiet and they were restored. And then afterwards they rejoin and get back to their chores and community duties. And I, I think that this cycle, again, it reveals a spiritual teaching of movement and stillness in that tribal culture, in those beautiful teachings. Uh, we would do so much better if we had observed them <laughs> rather than the stance we took. Yeah. What intrigues me is people who have had spiritual practice for a long time have been sharing with me that they've been feeling and sort of uh, outside themselves anxiety, you know, at the state of like it's built up, it's bigger than themselves, it's bigger than their practice, it's bigger than their walk, and that they can't find the quietude in the stillness. And so you know, I was talking about a lot of times, I think when we go faster, faster, faster beyond our endurance, there's kind of like that thing, you know, when you get overtired mm -hmm. <laughs> and now you can't go to sleep. Yeah. Like you could have gone to sleep over three hours ago. Yeah. But you had to work. Yeah. It's the worst feeling yeah. because you're awake, but you're not here. Right. It's kind of like you're hearing and seeing everything through a tunnel. And you get that ramped up feeling, but it's not movement, it's franticness. Yes. You know, just got to keep going, got to keep going. And so I, I wonder if we understand yet, you know, part of today's, the beauty of this practice today is that we can experiment with going deeper still. Mm. Like stillness isn't two-dimensional or even three-dimensional. It's limitlessness. And the goal isn't just to get rid of stress. The goal is to get to a place, a realm, where you exist in the presence of everything else existing. And in that stillness, you know you're connected. Now, when you go back to movement, it looks very different. Yeah. I just want to point out that that is really a practice. And I think that I've been learning that because I've been trying to get there myself or get back there. I feel like I've experienced it in stages before for sure. But it's really like going back into the gym. It's not just something... I feel like we have this, me including myself, like have this magical sort of thinking about it. Like, I'm just going to carve out this time today after not doing it for so long. And I'm just going to get right back in there and, you know, experience the euphoria of connect, divine connection and <laughs> confirmation and feel the universal pulse. And it's not like that. Why? Well, it takes a while to... For me, at least, and I don't know if this is true for everyone, but if you haven't been going there, well, for one, if you've never gone there, you, you're you not in the practice of it or it's not a natural or normal thing for you. And even if it is, 
I feel like it takes a moment. It's like a practice. You have to go back in there and give yourself the time and create a space for it. And the first time you create the space, it might not come. So you have to keep going back to it and continue creating that space until you know, you feel it or you experience it. Or not look at it with like a linear expectation, like a specific outcome. Right. A practice, I think, will always embrace wherever you're at in life. Huh. And we have to assume that every single day is different. Every single day has something new about it. And the practice is the one consistent. So whether it's a prayer practice or a breath practice or even a meditation practice, what I love about these multi-pathways is actually they all lead to the same thing. But can you tell me more about what a linear expectation is? Because I feel like that's a big one. Like, Because I often go in having an expectation that whatever's going to happen. So how do you go into it without... I mean, do you have no expectation? Yes. I mean, your expectation is that you'll go back to stillness through your practice, whatever your practice is. So, you know, like friends of mine who have a very strong Catholic faith and they practice the rosary, like sometimes they go so deep. They go so deep because they trust by the time they get through the rosary They started in one place, like anxiety, stress, whatever is on their plate, whatever has challenged them, health issues, their family's health issues, financial issues. By the time they get to the last bead on the rosary, they're in a different place. And I think that is true with every practice. If you allow yourself to just be yourself, you can't have expectations. You have to be welcomed. You have to feel welcomed as you are. If you're feeling gritty and you just, you know, have had the worst few days in a row or longer or something chronic you're dealing with, like pain or sorrow or grief, you're going to need that practice. I mean, you and I have been friends for a long time. We've seen each other go through many, many things, not just personal changes, but externally imposed changes in our lives. We had to stay in our practice to get through it. Right. As a result of that, I've watched you grow. Yeah. I've seen you transform. To me, that's because you get to be different every time. Like you can have really bad days where your practice is, I breathe in, I breathe out, and that's it. Oh, Sumishi, I... I don't know. I so personally needed to hear that because I feel like I've really been going in. That's where I've been failing. How so? Well, I've been going in with (laughs) linear expectations. Oh, do you know, Smishia, I think that comes from, you know, when we were just talking about like this kind of cultural concept of, you know, you have to work until you're burned out. You have to work at it. I think that there is a spiritual equivalent in spiritual communities where there is a huge agenda to drive the people to get to a place, whether it's a yoga community or a religious community, there is a very unkind, very product-driven outcome if there's an agenda rather than creating the perfect pathways for people to grow evolve and give their service from that place because i think constantly we're still experiencing and watch this in communities there is the work 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 till you burn out then when they burn out get distracted and then disconnect from that culture. So we're we're losing our human resources because we burn them out. Because our goal should be creating an oasis for stillness. And from stillness, now give. Now serve tirelessly. Now, you know, on principle, pick up your principle from there. If you do it from burnout, 
You know what that is? It's imitation. And we get that frantic behavior again. So, you know, this isn't exclusive under one dome. I have a question. So can you not be creative when you're burned out? It depends. I mean, of course, I'm not an expert on anything. <laughs> well, because I, I can never be. I'm. It's really difficult for me to be creative when I'm burned out. And I wonder if that's the difference because you're saying in this particular way, you're saying that when there's burnout, there's imitation. And I feel like imitation is the opposite of creation in a way, right? So yes. I wonder if that's like a rule of thumb or not. For sure, in one way, or one particular way I think of, which is like if you're burned out, you're already in the survival part of your brain. Right. Well, in survival brain, you know, occipital function, you can't be creative. Yeah. You also can't be intellectual, though, either. <laughs> That's why it's pseudo. Everything is imitation. Because you're just either in fight, flight, or fawn. You're disconnected from everything except your bare bones survival. However, it presents to you, you know, there's this friend I had. I Funny enough, I had a dream of him recently. And he did really, really brave work, I feel, internationally. But he never factored in how he would feel after like doing an international mission where everybody was suffering, everybody was starving, everybody was traumatized. And he's such a super happy-go-lucky guy. And he, he would come back and he, I'd be like, how are you? You want to get to the girls? All I want to do is eat. I just want to eat and eat and eat. Then I'll, I'll, I'll call you up later. <laughs> I, I get it because he's like, that's his response yeah. to being burned out from from that. But it, it just really cracked me up because I was like, you're so smart. <laughs> that, that's going to work. Right. Now he can go back into his spiritual practice, but he needs to feed first. Same with you. And also, you're in a place where you've never been before. If that doesn't freak a person out, I don't know what does. <laughs> like every single day, you're like, what's that baby doing now? Wait, what's this feeling? Wait, my muscles never did that before. Wait, do I look different? You know, like all kind. Every, every day, day, you're different. That's nothing. Why am I so you. hot? Why am I so cold? <laughs> yes. Why am I crying? Hi. You know, I just, I think that... In a way, that's life. Life is so super messy, but we're putting it in order from if we could just start to get more acquainted with this spiritual dynamic that's alive and functioning, whether we embrace it or not, you know? You know, Sushi, that made me think of something else. Can I share it? Yeah. Well, I kind of think that one of the challenges about all of this is a foreign concept, like something we were never taught. And that's about how to pace yourself when you're in a state of flux or change or crisis. So how do you know when to pick it up and work like pedal to the metal mm. and when to stop and pull back and not necessarily fully go into stillness, but benefit from your previous times in stillness where you just pause, you just reflect. You're just like, uh, let me see, um, do I fit in this path or not? Right. I don't think I've ever heard a teacher or mentor or authority in my life help me to understand that the minute you enter any field in your life, anything, you are going to interact with humanity and you will have to pace yourself, regardless of your goals, even if they're lofty, the loftiest. Right. So that you don't go arbitrarily into judgment. Yeah. Has there ever been anything that allowed you to pace yourself? <laughs> yeah. You were taught to pace yourself? No. I wasn't taught to pace. I think I taught myself to pace myself. Mm, how? Well, I don't think I ever wanted to be a trailblazer. I thought of myself that way. But by default, I was like, well, a lot of the things that I want to do or that I have done have, you know, 
by accident almost been trailblazing. And so when you're doing something that there's no reference for, you have to pace yourself because in some way or another, you have to convince everybody else along the way that needs to help you to make that thing or do that thing or chart that path to come along with you. So you have to help them to understand like your vision or what you want to do and why. And if I didn't have to be in community with people and if it was just something I can do in a silo, then I wouldn't pace myself. I would be like pedal to the metal. This is what I'm doing. This is what I want to put out. But when people have to catch up, and it seems to be the case with anything that's not a standardized system already, you have to. Is that what you mean? Well, yeah. I mean, I I didn't have like a, a specific place I wanted to go with it. It's just that I know that if there's so much need then how do we pace ourselves so that we still feel, you know, we're part of, we're moving, but we don't have to like uh, judge, oh, did I do it yet? Oh, is this it? Is this it? Because what if it's a lifelong goal or a quest or how do you pace yourself and not either give up, you know, and totally throw in the towel or perceive yourself as having failed your mission when it's really not up to you to say ever when you have failed because it's still in continuum. It's yeah. in a way, even your purpose is something that unfolds on a daily basis. You can't actually say, I did it. I did my whole purpose. <laughs> you know, otherwise it would be time for death. Personally, I'm somebody that needs to be witnessed a lot. And I feel like I do that with my relationship with the creator, where I just like check out of something because I know I can't be available for it, even though I want to. And then I feel guilt and I feel all the things. And then in my practice, I just go to the creator and I'm like, you know, my heart, you know, my intentions, like, you know, where I'm at. If there's something that I need to do more of, or if there's a way that I can step up in more of a way, then please show me, please guide me, please assist me. Like I need you. I need clarity. I need guidance. I need to know where my next step is going to be. And then I try my hardest to rely on that relationship, even though sometimes it's so difficult to rely on the abstract in that way, especially when you are feeling guilt and you are feeling whatever, I I just sort of try my best to surrender to that relationship and know on some level that the creator does know my heart of hearts and knows that, you know, what I want to do, what I want to accomplish in my life might not be in this moment that I can do it, but that I'm dedicated to it. You know, as long as that thing calls me where I feel like it calls me. I love that, which also fuels you when you go back out into the world, you know, away from that sacred space you've created or carved out, regardless of how long or how deep that space is. You know, one of the last things that I was wondering about and reflecting on regarding stillness, I think that we humans have a fear of too much stillness, not just because it's a lack of productivity, but for two reasons. One, we're afraid that stillness means being alone. Yeah. You know, that we're all alone. And there's this huge fear of uh, the deeper you go, like, what if you go so deep and there's no one there but you? And and you're all alone. So I think that's just sort of like something in our psyche that we haven't understood. But in a lot of ways, it's true. I mean, it is true. It is and it isn't. Yes, it is and it isn't, but it's true. Tell me about that. There's a lot of things that I've had to do to fulfill parts of myself that have caused me to feel a lot more lonely because I didn't have the people around me that I thought would be around me or, you know, I wasn't able to grow and be around those people at the same time or, you know, 
So in a lot of ways, it is lonely. You lose a lot of people. I mean, they always say it's lonely at the top. (laughs) But lonely and being alone are two different things. Yes. It's lonely at the top, but you're not alone at the bottom. (laughs) Yes. I think that's what's so important to know. We're never alone. That's why you were sharing just moments ago, your personal practice is a connection, a relationship with the divine. Yeah. And bring it into your personal life. Yeah. Well, you don't feel it until you're quiet enough to feel it. Yeah. You know, it's there, but you're not seeing it. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's true. And and in those moments is where I've had my biggest sort of aha moments or feelings of recognizing a truth, like a real hard fact truth. Like I remember thinking in that process, like one of those growth processes where I realized that, and this this came up for me recently because one of the things that everybody says to me when I'm pregnant is, Oh, you know, you're, you don't know the love of a child. Like it's going to be the only time you feel unconditional love. And that's interesting to me. I can't really understand that yet, but I don't know if I feel unconditional love from my parents, or I don't know if I've experienced that. You know, I've done things in my upbringing that have made me feel like it could be conditional. Like if I didn't do what they wanted me to do, or if I wasn't who I, who they wanted me to be, that they would disown me or that they wouldn't love me as much, or they wouldn't want to be. I've, I've seen that. I've experienced it in little pieces. And I remember realizing like the only unconditional love is from the creator. Like I can do anything, absolutely anything. I can fail miserably. I can be horrible and the creator will still love me no matter what (laughs) no matter what (laughs) yes and that's when I felt I mean in that moment when I was in that deep stillness was when I felt like okay I can always go to the creator no matter what and it also helped me to get rid of that masculine idea of the creator of like I'm going to my dad or something or like (laughs) The big man in the sky with a beard. <laughs> yeah, or something archetypical that didn't come from your Me. core. Yeah, like the king or the ruler. Or, and it's so not true. It's this very abstract thing that connected me deeper to my creator. And even though I've, you know, I wasn't able to hold on to that moment and stay in that place all this time, that truth will always stay with me. So even when I go back to my practice, I know who I'm connecting with. I'm not connecting with that archetype of whatever I thought the creator was previously. And so all that to say that that does make me feel less alone. But in that in that way, you know, even though in a lot of ways I I did lose physical people or relationships or but it's really more so that I lost the belief of like who I thought they were versus who they actually were the whole time. Yes. And that's why you're not alone, but you're clear. And when you're clear, you understand further your purpose. And all of a sudden, either people are like-minded and are joining you, are assisting them in their purpose and they you, or it's not that. And you'll have to hope that the future allies allows that to, you know, develop. Anything that eliminates fear inspires more courage to do these, come from that place. And even I think the deepest fear of stillness is when you're very still from our very embryonic perception of stillness, we think it looks like death or something akin to death, you know? (laughs) They're so still, they look like they're dead. I've heard people say that, you know, many. Or sleep is the cousin of death. Yes. And yet, we are so uninformed. We're so uninformed. Because stillness, sleep, and death are three different pathways. And so interestingly, that death in itself 
is also something we don't see happen here, but it's a transference of one place to another, just like the baby in the womb is going to transfer to this realm and out of that. that But the transfer is unknown to the baby. It's unknown to you. And so that baby is going to go through all the trauma when all the signs say, you have to leave. It's this over. This time here is ending. Oh, I'm going to go through that trauma too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you'll see light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. And you are preparing for it. That's also, you know, I think a big difference. And in stillness, if we knew what lies in stillness is infinite assistance, yeah, then we would never be afraid of going deeper and deeper in our stillness. Because no matter how hard you try, no matter how still you are, you are not going to death. Yeah, Death is not open to you. That door <laughs> is not available. Right. And once we understand that, I think we could really relax into something beautiful where we could draw up beautiful gems that we have never drawn up before. That's what we need today. If we're going to get past this time of frenetic movement and cutting one another off for many reasons, only when we go to the stillness will we see, oh my gosh, we're actually connected. You can't cut each other off. Yep. You're never going to be alone. Smishy, words of wisdom. (laughs) Words of wisdom. Smishy, well, I think we went deep enough for I'm going to tap out now. (laughs) I need a nap. (laughs) Now you have to go to stillness. I'm going to stillness. (laughs) Smishy, I join you, but not in a nap. I thank you for uh, (laughs) swimming in these deep waters together. Little backstroke. (laughs) Thanks, Sushi. That was great. Well, Sushi, until next time. Love you. Love you, Sushi. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us. See you next time.